Once upon a time, long ago, two cells came together and merged and mixed and divided and divided and divided and divided and divided again and again and again and again until they formed a miniature you. And that miniature you floated for what seemed like forever in this perfect liquid environment, almost like the best waterbed ever invented at the perfect temperature. And in that environment, you slept most of the time. You lazily rolled over when you felt like it. You found yourself supplied by a constant stream of nutrients. You put your thumb into your mouth. You may have even dreamed, the researchers say. And there in that perfect environment, you were cushioned on all sides from anything that could bother you or poke at you from all of the frictions of this world. You were constantly nourished without ever lifting a finger or, or lifting a fork or earning a penny. It was sort of like a prenatal club med. Ah, life was good in the womb. I have this theory that most of us never got over that experience. I have this theory that this was such a fantastic environment that most of us, at least subconsciously, are constantly trying to get back there again. That we go through our lives, in a sense, trying to unwrap ourselves with whatever materials we can lay hold of to to recreate the womb-like environment that was our beginning. And so we use our money this way and our relationships this way and our material comforts and our power and our influence to try and surround ourselves with this cocoon, this protective cocoon of life. We, We believe, many of us, that maybe one day if we work just a little bit harder, we will finally get back to a place of stability. Think how often we just tell ourselves, if I just, over the next hill, by next week, I'll get finally back to that place of calm and quiet and stability. We think we'll get to a place where one day our relationships will all be smooth. We think we'll get to that place where one day we'll be able to float through the day smoothly, where the golf swing will be perfectly grooved, where we're there on the beach with the corona in hand, listening to the waves lapping up on the sand, like the lapping sound of the water of the womb. Do I just need a vacation, you're wondering? (laughs) Or can some of you relate to this? It is not just me that thinks in these terms, if you really reflect on this, if you watch the popular reality shows today and how many of them are focused on the celebrity cribs the way the celebrities have built their wombs for themselves. If you listen to the voice of the advertisers from Madison Avenue and how they describe these products that you can enter into, your perfect luxury car will be womb-like. It will bring you back to a place of security and stability and peace and quiet. If you listen carefully to the voice of our society, you will find that it is echoing this primitive longing 
to return to the life of the womb. And if you listen to the voice of religion sometimes, you will hear echoes of the same thing. You will find that even religion seems to be aimed at this kind of end. For example, we read in Psalm 121 in our lectionary text for today that the Lord watches over you, that the sun will not harm you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all harm. And we typically read these passages and ones like it in the Bible as as God promising us that if we remain faithful to him, he will give us a womb-like experience in this life when that's not what God is saying at all. Oh, there is coming a day when we will know the life that we once knew in the womb. It just doesn't happen here in this life for very long. There will come a day when we'll go beyond this life and find ourselves in a place of eternal shelter and peace and rest and joy and laughter and hope. But those kinds of experiences are not long ones often in this world. We should not think that the Bible is saying that if we just trust God in this life that he's going to make the experience more womb-like because that misunderstanding explains why many people are discouraged about God, disappointed in him, even despairing about their own life when love's real plan for human thriving stubbornly reasserts itself. What do I mean by love's real plan for human thriving? What what is that plan? What does God really have in mind to enable us to find our fullest potential. Well, I think that we get at least a partial clue to these things in the words of Jesus to Nicodemus in the passage we read from John chapter 3. When Jesus says, you must be born again. Jesus is saying that the focus of your life, Nicodemus, or Nancy, or Dan, or any one of us, the focus on your life must not be to secure yourself in some comfy, permanent womb. Don't think that's the aim and objective of life. Rather, it ought to be on surrendering yourself to the uncomfortable process by which you will be born into a larger room. And live your life, even in these momentary womb-like experiences, with a view towards that, towards the reality that I am calling you throughout this life to a larger place, always to a larger room. Now think about this, if you would, in in biological terms for a moment. Think of it this way. God has engineered life in such a way that over time your growth as a baby in the womb would only take you so far. How many people have you met that were in the room for 13 months? No, No, none of us have. That the womb could only take us so far was the way God designed things. Though the walls in which you spent your earliest days were able to flex with you as you grew, there came a time when you were no longer able to move and to turn in that space as you had previously done, and when your universe could not seem to get more constrained than it was at that time, the non-Caesarians amongst you, anyway, felt the walls of your world squeezing you down. And, 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 And suddenly your heart rate went up as you found yourself under this immense kind of 
pressure. You were being pushed violently out of this safe, familiar zone you'd always known. What gives you were thinking in your little baby brain? No, I don't want to do this. Where am I going? And for many of you, this trauma was just overwhelming. You, had, you were pressed so hard that your face and your head were kind of squished. They don't show you those baby pictures. They've hidden them from you. And for many of you, when things could not possibly get worse, and you're in the midst of this traumatic experience, suddenly you're pushed out and this blinding light is in your eyes, and it's cold out there, and you're struggling, and, 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 and they suddenly take you and they cut away the cord that attached you to the only life you ever knew. And for all intents and purposes, you died. You died to the old life. You died to the universe of the womb. And that little baby brain of yours could not understand at that moment. With all of the anxiety and the adrenaline rushing through your little body, your brain at that time could not understand that all of this change, all of this pressure, all of this death of sorts that met you at the end was not really final. It was merely the passage. It was merely the process of delivering you into an even larger womb, into an even larger room in which you could continue to grow. Are you with me so far? You follow this imagery? Because Jesus said, if, I, if you can't understand earthly things, how can you understand the heavenly ones? So this is very earthly. We've gotten earthy talking about this stuff. Well, if you think about it, this, this whole birthing process, this whole strange journey from the old life of the womb to the new life that is to come is not really confined to the way that we come into this world or go out of this world, like that St. Elizabeth I just described a little earlier, because that's coming one day. You're going to go out through another passage into a larger universe that we call heaven or eternity or the invisible space. Jesus spoke of it in those terms. It's not just confined to the beginning and to the end. It is really, in a sense, the process that moves all the way along. It's how we move through this world. And I think this is what Jesus is trying to help us to see. I think a lot of the time we would like to think that this sort of trauma, the kind by which we were born into this world, was sort of a once-only thing, right? And hopefully before we can, uh, so early in our life, we don't even remember it. But in reality, it, it's not. Um, it, it's a lot easier to avoid disappointment in God and discouragement with life if you realize that between our birthday and our resurrection day, we are going to go through a lot of these birthing experiences. Okay? We're going to go through a lot of them. Each one of these birthing experiences is designed by God to help us grow, to grow larger, to bless us with increased capacity 
to be a blessing to other people. And I invite you to test that claim against what you know of the Bible's teaching. I think back to the very famous story, one of our other lectionary texts for this week, from the uh, book of Genesis, chapter 12. It tells the story of Abram. Now, if, any, if there ever was a human being who had successfully found himself a very good womb in life, it was, it was the man we call Abram. Eventually, Abraham is his name. Abram lived in Ur of the Chaldees, an ancient part of the fertile crescent of this world. He lived in a town called Haran. He was its leading citizen. Abram had everything. Lifestyles of the rich and famous. He had a beautiful crib. Abram had a big family, he had lands, he had a home, he had incredible prestige and influence in the area around us. You get this, if it's possible to create a womb through human means, Abram had it. And yet the Bible says, the Lord said to Abram, go from that place. I want you to go from your country, from your people, from your father's household, to the land I will show you. I can't tell you what that land is. I will not describe it for you. I can't really unveil for you right now the new room I'm sending you to, but I'm sending you. And you can just imagine the, 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 the panic, the, the confusion. You know, you can imagine Abram, if, if he's anything like the rest of us, wanting to hold on to the walls of this protective environment that he already had constructed for himself. My life could not possibly get better, he's thinking. My life could not have more influence than it has right now, right here in Haran. But the Bible says Abram went. Abram moved. As the Lord had told him, Abram was 75 years old when he set out from Haran. Abraham was 75 years old when he was born again. Do you get the drift? you see the image here? Now with that step of faith, Abram, who becomes Abraham, goes from being simply a good father of a tribe to being the great father of the nations. He becomes the father of multitudes. Talk about a larger room. He becomes the the, the ancestor that is recognized by the Jews, by the Christians, and by the Muslims the world over. He is made an agent of God's blessing for the entire planet and history of humanity. Is it because it's through the lineage of Abraham and the people of Israel that the Messiah comes, that Jesus comes. Abram, Abraham is given an opportunity to go through a birthing experience that leads him to this vastly larger environment. Now let me say it again. Between our birthday and our resurrection day, we are going to go through a lot of different birthing experiences and they're designed by God. They're intended by God to help us to grow larger in character, in faith, in hope, in love, so that we can have the supreme blessing of having our lives be used as a force of blessing for people beyond us, beyond our comfortable circles. Now, test this insight one more time against your own experience. 
How many of you have known for some period of your life a womb? I'm not talking about the baby one. I'm talking about some other womb you've managed to construct for yourself where things were set and stable and wonderful and glorious for a season. How many of you know, know an experience? I think of San Diego. I lived there for six years. I think of San Diego in the wintertime. <laughs> and it was just fantastic. It was a float of joy. Even in the darkest days of the winter, being there in San Diego, right? But God called me out of that experience to a much larger room. It was a lot colder at first, but it's been a lot larger and more wonderful in so many ways. How many of you had experiences like this? How many of you have been in a place of comfort in your life, and one day you start to feel a little cramped, or you're squeezed, and you're pushed out of that experience into a new one, and you find yourself in a very difficult passage. If you've ever moved from childhood to adulthood, if you've ever gone off to college, if you've ever found yourself uh, pushed into an, a new job situation, or you're, you, you, you're, you go from, from one key relationship into another relationship, or you move into parenthood, or you move from parenthood into midlife, or you move from midlife into retirement, or retirement to retirement home, you know how hard and traumatic those transitions can be. Maybe you've lost a loved one. Maybe you've been through a divorce. Maybe you know how hard it is, what a struggle it can be to trust that in the midst of the pain of passage, there really is a plan. But there is a plan. There is. God has a plan. He works all things together For the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purposes, he will take it all. He'll use all of the ingredients of your life, even the things that he wouldn't have chosen for you that come your way. He'll weave them together and bring forth his good purposes through you. He'll take you to a larger room if you will surrender, if you will trust him. Growth requires change. Change involves struggle. Struggle is a necessary part of birthing new life. And, and, and you know from your own experience, some of you, that as difficult as those transitions were, they did take you someplace bigger. They made you someone bigger. The Apostle Paul knew this for himself. He, he, he had been through a lot of these tough transitions in his life. And so he writes in one of his most famous letters, his letter to the church at Rome, these words, I love them, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory. It's almost like the promise we need to hear in the middle of the Chicago winter. Spring is coming. Our present sufferings, they're not worth comparing to the glory, he says, that will be revealed in us. For we know, he writes elsewhere, that the entire creation has been groaning as in labor pains. Picks up on this same image. For the creation waits with eager longing For the revealing of the children of God. What Paul would say to you and so many other voices in the scriptures is that the promise and the historical record of God is that when push comes to shove, God brings his children through the waters to new life. 
He brings them through the waters of the, of the Red Sea and delivers them to new life. He brings them through the, the, the waters and the storms of the wilderness. And he delivers them into the larger room of the promised land. God brings us through, through the waters of, of baptism into the larger life. Through the waters of death into eternal life. God has a record of bringing his children through the waters into the larger room. What I want to ask you this morning is what would it take for the church of Jesus to live with that confidence? What would it look like for us to live with the confidence in, in the way God works in these things? What, what if word got out that the Christian community was not the place for those who had arrived, whose life was set and stable and they got it all put together and organized and comfy and spiritually fixed? What if instead the reputation of the church was as that place where you could go and be welcomed if you were in the pain of passage, if you were in the tunnel of transition, if you were feeling squeezed by life in various ways, and you knew that when you entered into that particular environment, the people around you got it. They recognized a fellow journeyer, and they came around you, never angry if you were striking out and thrashing a little bit in the pain of the transition, or they they just would, they would recognize you as somebody with whom God was working, in whom God was working. What if the church became known as that kind of hospital of hope. We became midwives, in a sense, that assisted each other in the transitions and the tough changes that God was using to bring about the growth that he purposes for us. I think we could become even more of a hospital of hope like that than we already are. And I'm going to ask you to help in two particular ways. First of all, have a womb with a view, okay, about yourself. You know, don't get stuck where you are in your faith walk. Don't say, okay, I, I, I'm pretty much as much of a follower of Jesus as I could ever be. I think he's pretty much done with my character. I don't think he needs more of me or plans more for me. Have a womb with a view. Pursue life change for yourself, even if it's tough, Okay? Um, stretch yourself. You know, go with his calling. Serve in some fresh way. Invest yourself more deeply in the journey of, of discipleship growth. Uh, take a step of, of radical faith with your money or your time or with your heart. Okay, pursue life change and become larger. Emerge into the bigger room he's calling you into. Secondly, Pursue life change for somebody else. I would say for at least two other people in the next year. Find at least two other people that, that, that are struggling with a passage of some kind and you come alongside them and encourage them. Say, God's not left you alone. I think he sent me here to encourage you and walk with you during this time. I think he's got good things in mind for you. And, and so lean into this change that he's bringing about. Pray for that person. Invite them into the the community of faith someplace. Walk alongside them a while. As we often say around Christ Church, our vision is to pursue life change for you plus two. Okay? Pursue life change for you 
plus two. Let me recognize in closing that there might be something that holds you back from that. Uh, maybe, maybe you find it hard to yield yourself to this particular vision of life, this calling in life, because you've not ever gotten around to making the fundamental change, uh, the most important change in a sense, transition, required to maximize the potential of all the other changes of life. It's possible to have survived many of life's tough transitions and not have made the one key transition that makes all the other ones more victorious. Some of you, maybe even just one or two of you today, are a bit like the man Nicodemus that Jesus met one night long ago. Again, Nicodemus is a guy that had constructed for himself a wonderful womb. Okay, he was, the, uh, he was a, um, a blue blood of the religious establishment. He was a political influencer. He was a Pharisee and a member of the Jewish ruling council. Okay, he had all kinds of comforts, respect, authority, influence. I mean, it was, a good, it was good in the womb for old Nick. But something had begun squeezing Nicodemus, right? We don't know exactly what it was, but something had pushed Nicodemus hard enough that he began to move and in a new way. I don't know, maybe Nicodemus had grown discontented with his wealth and his power. It just wasn't enough. It didn't give him the sense of meaning he longed for in life. Maybe Nicodemus found that he just couldn't float comfortably in that space anymore. He believed there was something better out there. Maybe Nicodemus couldn't find the power in himself that he needed to fix his own character or to fix his marriage or his relationship with one of his kids. Perhaps he was facing the limitations of his own willpower. Maybe he was dealing with a terrible guilt from something he'd done. He'd look great on the outside to everybody else. He was like a whitewashed sepulcher, but inside there was something rotten. And he knew about it, and he didn't know how to rid himself of it, the guilt of it. Maybe he'd seen the specter of death coming his way, and He realized death wasn't going to pass him by, make an exception with him. We don't know what it was. But whatever it was, it was squeezing him, and it got him out. It pushed him out of the womb. And and that night, it pushed him in the direction of Jesus. And and, and the Scriptures tell us, and we'll look at the passage there on the screen, that, that he saw in Jesus the power of God that he needed in this moment in his life. He believed that Somehow, whatever was applying pressure in his life might well be the power and the presence of God and that this power and presence was there in Jesus. And you know what Jesus had to say to Nicodemus that night? He said, Nick, Nick, you must be born again. God's not done with you, my friend. It's just beginning with you. You must stop trusting in your own righteousness. You must stop trying to justify yourself or believe that will be sufficient based on your own good deeds. You must stop being quite so self-sufficient. God looks at some of us who are listening to me right now and he would say the same thing. Stop. 
Stop contenting yourself with what's happening in this little womb you've created for yourself and surrender to me. Surrender to me. Give your life to me. Let me move you on to a larger space. And so what Jesus says to you, as he did to Nicodemus perhaps, is stop resisting the contractions and just give in to them. If you've never left behind the stagnant womb of a self-justified, self-satisfied, self-securing life, surrender today to a spirit-directed life. Give yourself to Jesus. I know it's frightening, says Christ. Because the spirit, my spirit is, it's like the wind. It's like the contractions of, of labor, he says to Nicodemus. You can't control when it comes. Like Abram, you don't even know where it's going to take you. But I'm telling you, the only way to enter the larger room of the kingdom of God is to let me push you where I will. If you want to see the best in this life, if you want to grow to your fullest potential, if you want to be born one day to that place where your eyes open upon a glory you can't even begin to imagine yet, then make no mistake about it. It is time to let God pull you into his hands. For you must be born again. Please pray with me. Lord of life, please give us, please give us a view beyond the womb where we may currently reside. Enable us to let go of the walls of whatever cocoon we may be living in and surrender ourselves to the breaking water of your Holy Spirit. Draw us through whatever passage lies before us. Bring us to a newer and larger quality of life in your presence. Enable us to be for one another those spiritual midwives, those spiritual helpers that assist you in bringing forth the new creations each of us is called to be. For this we pray in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior and Lord. Amen.